Okay, welcome to the podcast. Uh, I have a uh, conversation that I had recently with Jen Pilati to share with you. Um, so I'm super excited about that. Um, unfortunately, I didn't uh, get a podcast uh, uploaded last week. Was um, out traveling and 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 facilitating some some workshops. Um, I got to participate in the. Uh, the movement research camp at block 1750 last week alongside some really amazing teachers and also practice with um just really amazing people who are there participating um so i wanted to to first thank uh everybody at block 1750 um leah and alex and uh all the uh the amazing teachers who who were there um I'm afraid I'll miss somebody, but I'm going to try and say everybody's name. Uh, Larkin, um, Tracy, Mike, Annabelle, Charlie, Amos. Um, of course, Leah and Alex also taught as part of it. Um, yeah, if, uh, if I missed anybody, I'm sorry, but I think that was all the teachers. It was really an honor to to, to teach alongside all of you and then everybody who was there thank you so much for for i don't know the 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 great energy the five days of um you know collaboration and communication and storytelling it was just a a really special week so i'm i'm I'm, i feel fortunate to have been a part of it uh at all so thank you all i look forward to uh to coming back again sometime and um you know participating again in some way um couple events here coming up the uh the first is um the first is this weekend uh in brooklyn i'm back in new york um it's a two-day event this saturday and sunday that's the 24th and the 25th and uh saturday is a full day sunday is just a couple hours um you can sign up for either or both and uh, you can sign up at the, the, my new website, kylefincham.com. If you're anywhere near New York, I would love to see you there. Um, and then the following weekend, the 31st, um, we're going back to Miami to do uh, Infinite Play. It was a blast last time. We're doing one more while we're in the, the Florida area before we take off. Um, so if you want to sign up for that, also go to, to kylefincham.com. Um, yeah, that's what I got. Those are the events. Um, I hope, uh, I hope I can see you there before we, uh, head into like the, I don't know, the next phase of this journey. Um, yeah, I think we'll be, uh, uh, headed to Europe in the fall. Um, let's get to this conversation with Jen. Um, this was the first time we chatted. Uh, if you're not familiar with Jen Pilati, let me give you a little bit of her background here. Uh, Jen fell into the movement industry over 19 years ago as a personal trainer. She quickly realized there was something missing, a piece she couldn't quite put her finger on. This led her down a never-ending rabbit hole of exploration and study of all things movement, including yoga, mobility, strength and conditioning, motor control, body weight training, and dance. She takes a holistic view to movement training and has a strong interest in how movement affects the whole person. Jen likes to read, research, 
uh, about movement, psychology, motor control, and anatomy, and write about the things she thinks are interesting so, and are worth sharing. She's also the author of a book called Body, Mind, Movement, an Evidence-Based Approach to Mindful Movement, and has two other books that are, are unpublished, um, but coming soon, hopefully. Uh, she regularly teaches workshops and retreats, and for more information, you can go to jenpilotti.com. That's J-E-N-N-P-I-L-O-T-T-I.com. Um, this was such a treat. Um, we really had a, a, a fun conversation, and uh, I'm already looking forward to the next one. So here it is, my chat with Jen Pilotti. I teach a variety of things. So I have embodied anatomy coming up that I'm co-teaching with somebody that I'm really excited about. I am a bit of a, I don't know how much you know about me, but I'm a bit of a research nerd. So a lot of the workshops that I teach are kind of geared towards higher level, like exploration of different parts or different things. Mm -hmm. And I occasionally lecture for a Naval postgraduate school on mindfulness. So I get to hang out with the U.S. Navy on occasion, which is fun. That is very cool. Yeah. Do you feel like you lean more towards like the science, like biomechanics, anatomy side, or do you feel like you lean in the, like the, I don't know, artistic, spiritual, romantic side, or do you kind of like walk the line in between? I, I would say I probably walk the line in between, but I'm definitely like a neuro nerd. I love neuroscience. I always have. Mm-hmm. I took neuro, a lot of neuro in um, undergrad. And then during graduate school, I got fascinated with motor control mm-hmm. and that just sort of continued and led me down these really interesting places with psychology and how does movement affect things like anxiety and depression and trauma and how do we respond to different things and what is balance really doing? So all of that is just something that I, I yeah, I'm a huge nerd for it. I love it. And I love the research behind it. And I love the practical application. Amazing. I, I'm reading uh, Behave right now. Such a great book. Sapolsky is, a, he does such a wonderful job explaining things. Mm-hmm. I love it. Like, you know, even in the first chapter where they basically just are just getting into like the complexities of like how the brain is working through our behavior. That at the end, he's kind of like, at the end of the chapter, he's like, just to basically say it's complex and we don't necessarily need to know all of these things. And it's like, I'm laying like a base layer down, but it, I'm butchering what he said, but it's almost like it may not all actually matter. And it doesn't mean that we can actually predict people's behavior because it's, it is complex. So complex. And it's dependent on so many factors. And I think as anyone that spends time in a service, providing a service, it's useful to be able to understand that, you know, cause I don't know. Do you do much one-on-one coaching? Not anymore, but I, I used to. Yeah. Cause you know, sometimes people come in and you're like, okay, what I had planned is not the right choice right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. So to be able to reroute and meet somebody where they are, you know, where they are in that moment and then kind of help, you know, maybe shift things a little bit so that their experience becomes a little more robust and a little bit different than where they were when they walked in is such a valuable thing. I think. I totally agree. At the very least, it's almost like, even though I totally geek out on like science related things are the things that I understand by far the least and the things that I retain definitely even like less than that but at the what I do believe is that at the very 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 least these things help like develop empathy 
Yes. And like, sometimes I think that that's the thing that like is the most missing. So missing. I was doing a bunch of research on pain science for a webinar that I'm teaching. And there's this paper that looks at physicians and patient outcomes with chronic low back pain. Mm-hmm. And patients who listened and were empathetic with the patient, their adherence, the patient's adherence went way up. Wow. And as a result, their outcomes were better. Mm-hmm. So again, you think about that, like in our profession where we're trying to get people excited about movement, not everybody's excited about movement, right? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like we are, but, but, a, but a lot of people aren't how do you get people to kind of be like, okay, well, maybe this is something that would be useful for me. And a huge part of that is being empathetic, mm-hmm. practicing attunement and listening. I feel like that gets people so much further than just telling them what to do. Yeah. You know, I had this really wonderful conversation and maybe, you know, David Wilson, he, he, his Instagram <gasps> is old school moves. And he was, he was talking about this because he's, he's an educator originally, you know, for, like 30 years in like Canada teaching creative writing, writing and things like that. I did not know that. Okay. Well, and he was just talking about how, like, among many things from like the perspective of an educator, just that like both the student and the teacher are both the student and the teacher. Yes. Right. Yes. <laughs> Cause they're coming in with their like subjective experience and all the knowledge about themselves. Right. So like, there needs to be a certain kind of humility on the quote teacher's role to be like, well, they're going to teach me things as we go along here and I will be the student. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I find, and you've, you've, I don't know if you've experienced the same thing, but I have learned so much from my clients. It is amazing. And I could just so much in, you know, kind of what they need in that moment or ideas that I never would have come up with. You know, when you start giving people improv stuff, you're like, oh my gosh, that is such a fascinating way to do that. I never would have thought of that. You know, mm-hmm. it's just, it's so interesting. And there's, it, there's always something to it, which keeps it, keeps me engaged and hopefully keeps the students engaged. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I mean, that's like, I don't know. It seems like part of our like movement magic is, is, is empathy, right? I've, I've talked to some people and like, They've got into this idea, like so much of like us and mimicry and our potential for like complex movement has to do with like um, our ability to develop like empathy for other people and other things and other creatures. And like that, that's because if we empathize with them, we could understand what they were doing, whether it was like another person or if we were trying to maybe hunt something that like we could like, you know, the more we kind of embody that other thing, we could like be a little more, I don't know, predictive, I guess. I would agree. And I think it's interesting too, like it also helps I can create space, mm-hmm. which again, I also think is really valuable, you know, because mm-hmm. when you, when you mimic or when you watch and you observe and you try to understand how, why someone is doing something a certain way, you have to stop and reflect and be like, huh, how's that even happening? And that gives you space, but it also gives the person space mm-hmm. to, you know, respond. And that's valuable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And it's like, um, it's like continuing to like, remind all of us that we have so many layers of our ability to communicate, right? Yes. Yeah. There's so much more than just the words that come out of our mouth. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's like the, you know, like the great tragedy of like the, not the great tragedy, there's so many tragedies, but like with the, with the Zoom thing, is that like, 
the magic is that we get to like do this. Like you're in California, right? Yes. Yeah. And I'm in New York right now and we get to have this conversation, but like it's, it, despite being able to see each other's faces, we're still pretty like limited to the words. All like right. the nonverbal communication is like not quite the same. And like, we continue to like, I don't know, detach ourselves from like the nonverbal world where like, it seems like that's where, you know, we have a lot of potential to like learn. For sure. And I often wonder about that. I, I work with children sometimes, not like they're not the bulk of my clientele, but I do occasionally work with children. And I wonder about that for them, you know, because so many of them have a hard time with more free movement. Mm-hmm. And I do wonder if part of that is just that they spend so much more time on screens than like my generation did, or, you know, it's just, I just wonder. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like, from like an evolutionary perspective we're like not even remotely close to like the to the way the world looks right now right Mm -hmm. which is just yeah something that's kind of curious i'm reading this book the temple of perfection which is about the history of gymnasiums oh interesting i haven't heard of it it's fascinating it's written by a British author and he does a great job like diving into the history of where fit where fitness came from Mm-hmm. And you look at it and the ancient Greeks were doing it. They kind of had this mind body idea going. They weren't quite sure. There was still a, a pretty strong emphasis on aesthetics, but you know, it was kind of from that perspective. And then it became so much about like the militaristic values mm-hmm. of our people aren't strong enough to go to war. So we have to have some, you know, something for them to, to attain so that they can fight for our country. Mm-hmm. But we, somewhere in there, right? Because what did we evolve to do? We evolved to move. What about just that piece? So I don't know. It's just, I don't know. Things I ponder. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm so curious, like what, you know, like what a session with you or, and I shouldn't even say one session, like, like what a, like what a body of work looks like with you, like over like a period of, you know, years as like a, someone, you know, practicing with you looks like through that lens. Um, because hearing you say that, I mean, it makes me think of like, you know, things like Katie Bauman, move your DNA. I'm also like, I had like three different people in three different parts of the country all at once, almost, uh, recommend exuberant animal to me. Oh, he's great. Yeah. It's a great book. I don't know if you've read it. Yeah, I've read it. Yeah. Um, but talking about similar things and, and, you know, just in like the last couple sentences, it's like, almost like you were speaking like a similar language, (laughs) right? Well, I feel like, I, I don't know. I think if you've done this for, so I've done this for 19 years is how long I've been working with people one-on-one mm-hmm. and the client that's been with me longest has been with me for all 19 years. Really? Yes. Whoa. So this fascinating. So again, just, I think it's interesting. I didn't know what I was doing when I was 22. I mean, (laughs) I have no idea why this woman is still with me, (laughs) but you watch people through their lifespans. So you work with someone over the course of two decades. I started with her when she was in her fifties. Now she's in her Mm seventies. And you know, what's amazing is she can still like, she's still as curious and as interested and is willing to try whatever I give her. It's just, it's, it's fun. And it makes me think, okay, so if people are willing to move for 20 years with the same person, 
right? Like, I feel like if, if we can do that, then we should be able to do that with more people. <laughs> there should be this curiosity about movement throughout the lifespan, mm-hmm. not just in this one moment because I want to lose 10 pounds or whatever. There's also something really beautiful in, in this 20 year relationship that like, it's like this, uh, this celebration of change that I always mm-hmm. like, I don't know, I, I, I come back to this a lot, but this idea that like, it, it's not always about growth. And like, it's also not also like being like committed to your like one identity your entire life. Like, oh, this person started working with me and this is the things that we were working on at that time. So I stay right there. That like change is welcome. This person has probably watched you evolve on an almost daily basis for the last like 20 years. And, and it's not like, oh, well, I signed up for this one thing and it has to stay this way. That like, it's almost like, oh yeah, you're changing and that's awesome. Yes. And I, yes. And I feel like, uh, cause I have a lot of clients who have been with me for well over 15 years. Like I do tend to keep people for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because of that. They, they see that I, uh, I continue to stay interested. I continue to stay curious and I, I care. It's that, like you said, that empathy and that mm-hmm. compassion piece. And that's again, just so valuable, just interpersonal communication and relationships and these things that we're often missing in this world in this time. Yeah, because they don't align with like productivity sometimes. Right. Yeah. Right. I said I said to somebody recently. I think I was on on somebody's podcast, which is like a, a rare event, but it was also very nice to be on the other end. <laughs> you can imagine. But, yeah, but I um, you know, I, that that idea came up, and I was like, you know, at this point, given the opportunity between like maybe going and being by myself and like working some on some sort of movement thing. I see just as much value in like going and having a conversation with somebody or spending time with some people like going on a hike and potentially even more, you know what I mean? Because it's like, these are, you know, we've evolved to have these kind of relationships and that's the stuff that we almost like deprive ourselves of the quickest, or at least I find that. I, I totally agree. And I think that's, there's something that's a little, as you said, there's so many tragedies right now, but that's, I think one of the tragic things about this exact day and age and mm-hmm. people rarely, it's a time thing. Mm-hmm. And that is one of the, the things a private session gives you is it gives you time and space. Mm-hmm. So if someone's going to come see me and develop a relationship with me, they know that they have that time and space. Mm-hmm. And even if, <laughs> I come up with some crazy things for them to do. They also know that if they're not feeling it, I can be like, okay, let's reroute. But, like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but the time and the space is what's valuable. Like I have clients sometimes I often start people on the floor mm-hmm. just to get, cause that helps settle things down and give people a moment to be like, okay, yeah, I'm here, you know, and then start, you know, moving them away from the floor. But I have clients that come in, I put them on the floor and they're like, oh, I could just stay here for the rest of the session. We don't need to do anything <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not what happens but right. <laughs> invariably we start moving but mm-hmm. I, again that time and that space we all need it yeah I agree yeah I mean it's just it's all I don't know everything we do with time is kind of like human invention I always yes. think right yes. so like the, the the space is valuable the relationships are important like you know the things that we prioritize that's like sometimes just I don't know, to me, like what we've decided to do to like, you know, create productivity. Yes. Yes. I know it's such a, it is, it's such a human thing. Do you have animals? I don't. I have, so we have 
a 10 year old dog, but then we got a puppy after our dog passed away last year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, puppies have no agenda <laughs> at, all. <laughs> at all. And you watch them and you think, wow, every, yeah, every thing she expects about her day is, is human made because mm-hmm. I'm the one that has imposed these, this schedule upon her. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I wonder, I'm like, what would it be like in the wild? Like she wouldn't have, she wouldn't have any of this. There wouldn't be, okay. I know that four o'clock is coming. It's going to be time for my dinner. I know that, you know, I get to go for my walk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So it's so true. Like these human things that we have created. Yeah. And it's also like, you know, so, so limiting on our, our sensory experiences, right? Do you, do you, do you ever do any work um, outdoors or anything? I do mm-hmm. on occasion. Mm-hmm. I personally, uh, mm-hmm. on Sundays, I always go to the park and do some, I call it baby parkour or mm-hmm. parkour light, mm-hmm. but it's one of the things I find really interesting about it is time goes by very quickly. I'm always surprised. I look at my watch and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I've been here for 35 minutes. I had no idea. You know, whereas if I were doing the same thing in a gym, it would probably go by more slowly. Mm-hmm. And I think that is just, as you're saying that multi-sensory experience is so much richer mm-hmm. and there's something so interesting about, I don't know. I mean, even something simple like a rail balance mm-hmm. outside it has a whole different texture to it than a rail balance inside. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. Well, it, it asks like so much more of our senses, even if we're not totally aware of it. Like the sun is in a certain position, the wind starts to blow, there's a noise over your shoulder rather than like it being in the sanitized place. And it's just like, well, that's how we would have been. We would have had like, or how we should be potentially we like all this information and like this subtle observation happening all at once. Exactly. Which is our brains are designed to do that. So I think it's really good when we practice that on occasion, you know, I was reading this really cool paper about motor control and task and constraints. Actually it was, it was about constraints Mm -hmm. and the author was saying there's three different types of constraints. There's the organ, organ, organ is, ismic constraint. I can't even say it, but that's like the constraints within you. Mm-hmm. You know, I have certain length arms. That's a constraint for mm-hmm. some things. Then there's environmental constraints, which is exactly what you were saying. The sun is over here. I hear this noise. All of those are constraints placed upon us by the environment. And mm-hmm. then there's whatever the task constraint is. Mm-hmm. If it's, you know, balancing on a rail, it's okay. Well, I'm going to keep my hands off the rail and try not to fall over. But you know, and I thought that was interesting when I thought about the environmental constraints and the organis- organismic constraints. Cause I always think about task constraints, but I never think about the other two. Mm, yeah. That's so fascinating. Right. Because, and, and that's kind of like where you really get to like delve into like people's unique, unique creativity within the game or the task. Right. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's why, I mean, I think watching people. Cause I know you do a lot of play-based work as well. Yeah. And I always incorporate a little bit of it in my sessions. It's not the crux of the session, but there's always a little bit of it. And you watch people of different ages, different experiences and very different body types. You give them the same task and they're going to come up with so just totally different ways to do it. Mm-hmm. And it's so fun. <laughs> I think it's so beautiful. And I think that like, it, it, it like sometimes at the core, not everybody kind of like has this observation. Maybe some people do, but it's the thing that I feel like I've walked away with, with some of these things is like, so I got to go and teach a workshop 
um, as part of um, this movement event that was week long in Boulder this past week at block 1750 in Boulder. And, you know, their, their mantra is come as you are. And it reminds me of this conversation that I had with Alma Globin, who I had on here. And he was talking about how, you know, he wants people to, to, to realize that they're enough. Right. And there's something about like these games and like all kind of answers being welcomed and celebrated that like, that kind of says like, come as you are, you are enough, like whatever you are right now is absolutely perfect. Right. And like, we get to celebrate like how you, how you tackle this task because all the answers are perfect. And, and I, and I really do wish for more of that because I do believe sometimes that people, especially in, I'm, I'm certain you've crossed this with like people in, in, in your space, people walk in and they're like, I'll be enough someday. Yes. And one of the great tragedies, I think, of fitness in general mm-hmm. is it's not an inclusive space. And one of the nice things about being a private studio is I get people that maybe don't fit in well in a traditional fitness setting. Mm-hmm. And helping those people find that they are enough and helping them find their natural, because everyone's, everyone's capable of movement, right? Mm-hmm. Regardless of what it looks like, everybody is capable of moving in some way. So once people start to realize that, oh gosh, you know, I, I can, it, it's, a, I, I can do this thing that maybe I, I never thought that I would be able to. It's so incredible. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. So what, what was it then that like, you know, you've had like this really exceptional like journey in, in like the fitness movement space. What are some of like the, the key moments where you were like, Oh, I need to make, or I would like to make a change or I see something differently rather than kind of like, cause you started in like the world that a lot of us maybe started in and some people just kind of like ride that status quo wave. Um, but you were like, Oh, I, I see that there's other things. What, what, are there like seismic moments or was it kind of like sprinklings? It was probably more sprinklings. It was definitely multifaceted. I, realized very quickly, I worked at a country club. That was my first job out of college. So I was a personal trainer at a country club and my clients were primarily late forties and above. And I would watch them move. I would listen to what they said. And I'm like, something's not, I didn't know what it was, but I'm like, something's missing. I I don't know what it is. I don't know how to provide it, or I don't know how to help like you know, but there is something, there's a disconnect between the words that they are saying and their expression and their movements. And around the same time, I started to have actually some pretty significant chronic pain stuff. So I started yoga thinking that that would complement. I was doing triathlons and lifting weights and things, but I thought maybe that my missing piece was yoga. So I, I lived in that world for a moment as I you know, continued to do this other stuff. And I was like, well, this isn't it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is not the missing thing. And I actually don't think this is the missing thing for my clients either. And so anyway, just kind of the journey kind of evolved from there. I just kept looking. And it was during that period of time, which was like 2002 to 2010, the information on the internet was sort of sporadic, right? If you went really diving deep, you could come across some forums, forums that would talk about things where you're like, oh, that could be interesting. What is that? 
And then you would try to go find out what that was and there'd be no information about it. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is very much pre pre Instagram. And at some point there was an outside magazine article about Irwin Lahore. Mm-hmm. And so I went on YouTube and there was a YouTube of Irwin moving. And I watched that. I'm like, okay, there's something to this, this more natural movement idea. Like this, this is maybe what I need to explore. And that's kind of how the journey proliferated (laughs) (laughs) coupled with graduate school and reading a bunch of stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So how did that change kind of like your, I don't know, like your personal practice at the time, was that kind of like a, like a jarring time? It was and it wasn't. I practiced, the style of yoga I practiced was Ashtanga. I don't know how familiar you are with the yoga world, but what drew me to Ashtanga was, it was a flow-based practice, but it was very, very regimented. Mm-hmm. And what I didn't realize about myself or about the practice at the time is that is not what I needed. The flow-based work was good, but the regimented, I needed, I needed more improvisation. You know, I needed more freedom to move in a variety of ways. So beginning to play with the idea of linking things together and realizing that movement wasn't linear which that's kind of a hard thing when you start to come from that gym background, right? Like everything's pretty linear and just kind of start to to carve away at that was, was interesting, but I would intersperse things like very quietly and gently. (laughs) And this is my way. Like I get exposed to something. I hold on to it for a while. I kind Mm -hmm. of ponder it. I'm like, okay, well, let's just start kind of like, you know, sinking that in there and seeing what happens. And because of that, things shifted very gradually, both for me and for my clients. And so it wasn't like this whole like, oh, boom, we're just going to totally throw everything out the window. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and what's been nice about that is now when people come in, it's super interesting because they're usually words, they're usually referrals or they found me via my website. And they're like, well, I know that you do something different. I don't know what that different is, but mm-hmm. I'm willing to try it. I'm like, perfect. This is great. I don't have to explain myself because I don't know what it is that I do, (laughs) (laughs) which I think a lot of movement people kind of feel like that, you know? I totally agree. And sometimes, I mean, you said this maybe a little bit earlier, but like words are limiting, right? You know, like if we're going to go out and like exist in like the world, like it's a complex thing. And like, we, we, we can't talk about it. I mean, I, again, like I've said this on here before, but like, that's why like, art and, and music and poetry exist because like we can't actually talk about it and like movement is kind of like one of those things too where it's like you know I think of it much more artistically and it's like well that's a highly complex thing yes yes I totally agree I read this um quote that amused me recently I don't remember who it was by but it basically said that poetry exists to be read at funerals mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my gosh, because poetry has so much emotion in it. But again, we don't quite know how to explain it or what to do with it because of its complexity until, until you just know that it's right, right? Like, and mm-hmm. I feel like kind of, yeah, I feel like movement can be very much the same. You don't always know how to explain it until you just, until it's, you know, you're like, oh, this is it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've even gone so far at this point, like when I, when I do my events to say like, you know, we'll gather up and I'll be like, We'll have, we can ask questions now, but just so you know, like you don't have to ask questions. 
like it can actually just be whatever it is and yeah. we can like nod or we can laugh or we can kind of shrug or whatever but there's space for questions we can have the words but it's okay if there are no words we can just go on you know yes. because i think sometimes we feel obligated to lean into the words i so agree i actually think that's something teachers struggle struggle with mm-hmm. we feel like people are there to learn from us so we need to talk mm-hmm. And sometimes that is not what needs to happen. <laughs> so yeah, no, I totally agree. So how then, how do you play with that? Because um, I don't know, you know, being in, in a space alone with somebody and, and kind of like respecting that at the same time, I, I think I can see how it can be done, but I'm curious how you like navigate it. Initially, when people are, are new and aren't used to working with me, I initially ask for a lot of feedback. So rather than me giving them, you know, information, I'll, I'll ask, oh, mm. when they finish doing something, I'll say, oh, do, what did you notice about your left foot while you were doing that? Mm-hmm. And I'll be like, oh, I don't know. And then they'll try it again. And then they'll start articulating and tell me. And so I create the relationship that way. Mm. And I feel like using those basic, again, they're just basic mindfulness techniques, right? And basic reflection techniques. Like, can you observe in the moment? Mm-hmm. Can you focus your attention? And from a teaching perspective, so then what I do is if there's something I notice that's uh, happening kind of repeatedly, I will teach an exercise that brings awareness to the body part. And then I will just let that be the thread throughout the session. So rather than me using a lot of words to cue a lot of things, even if it's something like a squat, I'll say, okay, can you soften your breastbone? Hmm. And again, that will just be the thing throughout the session. I just want you to soften your breastbone and just see what happens. Does that change things for you? Right. So it's like you're, you're, it's not even like judgment related. It's not like this is right or this is wrong. It's just like, hey, just notice this thing. Yeah. Hmm. That makes me, have you read The Inner Game of Tennis? I have not. Oh, you're, I mean, you're kind of doing it. <laughs> <laughs> well, then I should definitely read this book. I'll add it to my yeah. list. <laughs> it's, 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 you know, there, so much of it is just kind of respecting our like innate intelligence, right? And, and reducing judgment because once we have something that's right, we also know what's wrong. Yes. So, you know, rather than saying like, um, do this this way, it might be like, hey, notice, like maybe you're talking about squatting. It might be like, oh, like this is how I want you to squat is what someone might say. But it might be more interesting to say, you know, notice where the weight is on your foot when you squat and just let the someone's intelligence discover what the most efficient way is to like accomplish the task on its own because it will because we're super energy efficient if we give it the opportunity yes exactly Mm -hmm. no i totally agree the interesting thing do you work with people who are primarily body aware or do you work like people that are already interested in movement or do you do you work with people who have no background in movement at all um, I used to have more experience with people who had no background in movement. Right now, the people who are kind of jumping into my things are, are coming from a space of movement. But I wish to get more return back to uh, the the people who are you know starting their journeys. Yes. 
Because the people who are starting their journeys, the, the fun thing with them, I find, mm-hmm. is when you help them connect to some of those areas, like you were saying, you know, notice the weight in your feet or, you know, notice how, how you used your foot in your squat. And then you start to ask, you know, what happens if you put a little more weight on the outside edge of your foot? What does that feel like? Mm-hmm. And what happens, you know, you start to play with just like the basic, you know, connecting of this, this area, which creates grounding and creates proprioception and improves the sense of safety. And you play with that. And by the end of the session, they're like a whole different person. It's, it's, again, you watch as their nervous system regulates and suddenly they've connected to this area they had not thought about in 30 years or whatever, you know, wow. and it's amazing. It's just well, amazing. Just, as you were talking about that, I was thinking to myself, like, and you said it there at the end, but like the idea that like, if you haven't like moved or done much movement or, or, or been, I don't know, is disembodied, disembodied, not, 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 you know, not spent much time in your body that like everything that you're thinking about is from like the chin up, right? Yeah. You know, like whatever you can see in the mirror. And then that's all, it's like, well, like my, my ego and identity is like behind my eyeballs and like, this is the whole thing, right? And then all of a sudden you're just like, oh, like you just felt your feet for the first time. And like, that's, that's amazing. Uh-huh. Exactly. And it's, it's such a, and again, it's such a, I use the word regulating, but it is, it's so regulating for people. Mm-hmm. to have that sense of safety. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at like the connection between anxiety and balance and there is in the research, mm-hmm. people who have poor balance, they have higher levels of anxiety. And why wouldn't you? You're, you're scared of the ground. <laughs> yeah, right. You're like, you're, you're always on edge. Yeah. Right. yeah. So when you start helping create some of these connections, then you see the whole self just go, oh, okay. (laughs) That's beautiful. It's it's amazing. Yeah. I'm constantly in awe of just the way this whole system works. (laughs) Yeah. I want to ask you because you mentioned like uh, accessibility a little bit ago and like in fitness and things. And um, again, David and I were chatting and he mentioned something similar being like, you know, in a lot of these spaces, like, you know, people will look at things and they're like, like, where do I enter here? Right. Like, you know, he was talking about some of the things that you see on Instagram and like this space or that space. And it's just like, he's like, you know, somebody who's like, just getting started. You're like, where, where, where can I start? Like, you know, I see that that looks amazing, but like, it's not like, I don't see the bridge for me. And I got to like, look at some of your stuff. And to me, hearing you say accessibility, like I see you own it. Like I saw your work and it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm giving you, I'm giving everybody something to like, kind of like knock on the door with. Yes. I well, I feel like that to me, that is so important because Mm -hmm. what's the point of moving if we can't enjoy it throughout our lifespan. Right. Like, I think it's like the people that it's amazing. And I like to train at a high level. So I get it. Like I get wanting to do a handstand press. I get wanting to, you know, do like I was doing rollovers on the bar this morning. I get all of that. But 95% of the people in the world don't care about that. They just want to enjoy their lives. Right. And 
if you look at what the brain evolved to do, so much of the brain is devoted to the planning and execution of movement. So much. It's a huge percentage. It's something like 90% or something like that. I don't know if you've watched Daniel Wolpert's TED Talk, but he has this amazing TED Talk where he explains like, here's what our brain is for. <laughs> like, oh my goodness. Right. <laughs> so, you know, when you look at that, like you think, well, how can I, how can I give this idea to people of all ages mm-hmm. and make it feel good? Don't make it feel intimidating or like, like you were saying, like you walk into a space and people are like, well, I don't know where to, I don't know where I fit here. Mm-hmm. And that I will say, I think is one of the beauties of online, like zoom coaching, mm-hmm. because I have some clients who what used to come to my facility and they were good. They were, they, you know, they, they were willing to try stuff, but at home, they're so much more comfortable because they know the only person that is going to see them is me. Mm-hmm. There's nobody else that's going to walk in. Mm-hmm. So if I ask them to do something like a crazy kinosphere exercise, and maybe they feel self-conscious doing that elsewhere, they'll totally try it. Or like I had my 83 year old, I had her practice falling into her bed. Mm-hmm. Uh, during our session last week. And she was like, oh, this is super fun. <laughs> 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 you know. <laughs> so yes, I, anyway, needless to say, sorry, that got me off on a tangent. Yes, I feel very passionate about that. <laughs> no, I, 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 and I, and I, and, you know, if I'm, if I'm being terribly honest, like, you know, it's, it's probably more of like a, a, a newer reflection and realization for me, you know, is like to realize like, oh, like, you know, if you're going to like, kind of like spread breadcrumbs out there, there should be like breadcrumbs that everybody can chew on the big ones and the small ones and like all the different flavors, because like, you know, just one kind may only work for like one group. And like, you may only be like feeling, you may only give the feeling of approachability to like one group or, or a certain kind of group, even though you may have lots of, lots to offer everybody. Right. And again, I don't necessarily think that that's bad. And I'm so grateful for the coaches that do that because I learn from them all the time. (laughs) But I I do, I worry about the rest of the people. I worry about the people that just, they, you know, because of their physical limitations or their age or their size or for whatever reason, they don't feel like the gym is a place for them. I, 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 want them to have the experience of movement so they can enjoy their lives too, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm always trying to figure out like, well, how can I give that a little bit? Mm-hmm. Has that always been something that's like near like the front of your mind? Is, or is that something you feel like you were reflecting on for a while? It's interesting. I knew in college that I did not want to work with athletes. Mm. Like it was one of those things I knew. I was like, I wasn't, I worked as a child. I did not do athletics as a child, mm-hmm. but I've always worked out. It's kind of an odd thing. I joined my first gym when I was 16. So I've always been super comfortable in the gym, but like, it wasn't like, you know, I, I didn't feel like the athletes were my people. So I was like, okay, I don't want to work with athletes. I want to work with the regular person. So I always knew that. Mm-hmm. But then when I started my first job and I was working primarily with people who, you know, again, were, were, were older than me for sure. I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. And they, it, the information out there for these people is horrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the research is done on athletes, the, you know, or college age students, 
the information that's put out there by, and at that time it wasn't Instagram influencers, but it was like the magazines and whatever. It was all geared towards people who already had this baseline of understanding or interest. And that's just not the regular person, at least in my experience. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a, you know, it's a more unique group. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I also had this interesting conversation. I forget who I had it with recently, but the idea that like, it's also okay if, if something isn't accessible, yes. they were kind of like, if something's exclusive, it's actually fine too. But, again, but, yeah. but don't say it's accessible. Totally. I totally agree. Like I said, I am so grateful for all yeah. of these coaches that are teaching these crazy things. Cause I learned from them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yes, I want them. I want them all to exist. I am one of those niche, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> here's my money. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. But, 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 and, and that, and, 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 and like, that's fine. Like be that thing. Yes. But like, um, if you, if, if we, if, if we wish to be the group that's accessible, like it may be like a little bit of just being like, Oh, like look around at everybody who's out there yes. and think like, Oh, like you got to like give them something to chew on. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I, I totally agree. And I find that the people who specialize like, cause then there's the other end of the spectrum. Like I've definitely Rachel Kahn, KH, and she specializes in people who have had like strokes and um, neurological issues. Mm-hmm. And her work is fascinating. I love looking at what she's doing because there's so much there, but she never, like, she's not trying to be the every person. Trained. Right. Like she's like, this is my group. This is who I work with. This is it. And I think that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like, it's totally, it's totally fine. Yeah. Totally. (laughs) And there's also, and it's also to me also fine when it's like, Oh, this is an accessible place, but we're actually going to have an exclusive thing happen here from time to time. That's like for this group or for that group, or that's like, I I remember I worked at the, um, the JCC in Manhattan for a number of years and, uh, you know, they would do Shabbat dinners and, and for the dinner, everybody would come together all the different groups. And then after the dinner, all these different niche groups, these like more exclusive groups. So there'd be like the, the fifties and sixties group. And then there'd be like the LGBTQ group. And then there'd be like the, the teens group and they'd all break off and do their own thing. And it was like, so we're, it's like, this like inclusive thing for the dinner. And then it's like, well, now we go and be exclusive a little bit. And I was like, yeah, well, there it is. Like, that's like, that's totally cool. Yes. I feel like that. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So what, so what do you like, you know, you, you mentioned kind of like, uh, like there, there are people you have your eyes on and you're like, Oh, I'll give you money. And I want to like learn from you. Like what are, what are the things that you spend your time on right now? Oh, I'm always, yeah, I've got a few things going on. I have someone who writes my programs for me from Boulder movement collective or eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, they changed the name. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so there's someone over there helping me with some stuff. And then I do the fighting monkey online classes pretty regularly. I think they're great there. Again, there's so much to take away from their work within terms of improvisational stuff. And I can use it with clients of all ages, which is great. Mm-hmm. So that's really helpful. And then my favorite yoga restorative thing right now is Carlos Tao. Do you know, Carlos, Mm-mm. he's got a really interesting way of viewing restorative movement that I really appreciate. So I usually do something through him one day during the week. Wow. That's a, that's super busy. 
Oh, hi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Amazing. And, and I'm with you. I'm a big fan of like the fighting monkey material. Um, I think that there's like, it's a really rich, deep well that challenges a lot of like, not just like fitness things, but also I would say challenges like things that maybe are slight norms in like the movement world too. Yes, I, I totally agree. Right? Like really yeah. putting that emphasis on like coordination and rhythmicality and things yes. like, you know, that's like, yeah, as somebody who spent a lot of time like doing a, a lot of strength work, whether it's like, you know, gymnastics or whatever and being like, well, listen, like it may not mean anything if you're not a rhythmic creature you know you could be as mobile as you want to be like you know you could have like the craziest like mobile shoulders but you could still injure your shoulder throwing a ball if you're not rhythmic right yeah which is kind of funny isn't it i mean that's not what you would expect at all <laughs> yeah right right but that that might be like the real kind of like skeleton key or something Yes. I went to a movement archery workshop a few years ago and and it was super interesting because I was in there and I've done a decent amount of like dance workshops, improv workshops. So I kind of knew what to expect, but there were a couple of men in there who were pure, pure trainers. They were honest about it. They're like, this is the first thing we've ever done, like in this realm. And you could just see how, like what a mind bender it was for them, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I've, I, I've, I've talked to Tom a number of times and, and um, I've been to his workshop and I've also done some online stuff with him more recently. And I come from a theater background Okay. So it's like, there's a familiarity there for, for, for kind of like this, the, what I always think of as like the, the side of the material that's like the more creative or spirit side, yes. the experience side. And I'm like, oh, like I've, I've been to this place before, but I do wonder sometimes I'm like, oh, like if you haven't been to that space as an adult, that might be like a, whoa, we're, we're taking like a real ride here. Yes. But I, I, I love it. I think it's, I, th- I think it's beautiful and magical. And it's like that, I don't know, that dance between like, you know, technique and, and spirit that I, I, I think is like a real important piece to the puzzle. Or maybe that is the puzzle. That was kind of that relationship between the two. Yes, I think so too. And I think, and it, it's, it goes back to that term embodiment, right? Like how can we embody who we fully are if we're not willing to create and express in some way through movement. Mm-hmm. And I think that Fighting Monkey does that well. Tom Wexler does that well. Sh- Shira, you be, you, I can never say Shira's last name. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shira does that really well. I've gone on a couple of different retreats with Shira. She's awesome. Yeah, there's people out there that are doing it really well. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting as one who... It, the free form of movement is always, again, was, was more challenging for me. So to put your, put myself in that situation and to watch others putting themselves in that situation to try and adopt that mindset a little bit, it's, it's interesting and it's an interesting challenge. And I think that it's, it's good for people, but it's hard. <laughs> yeah. So do you, so do you introduce some of that in the, in the work you do with your clients now? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Usually more through play. I, 
tend to have clients that are a little bit like me and that they don't always have a lot of patience at first for learning new things. So, <laughs> but if you, if you create a game situation, that's just, you know, that 80, 20 rule, right? Like they're going to be successful 80% of the time and maybe fail 20% of the time. That's usually interesting enough to captivate their attention and have them try and play. Mm-hmm. And then maybe I can introduce some of the other more, you know, complex aspects of it later yeah yeah it's a it's a it's a funny thing because it's like you know we're we're in this like age of like i don't know reason so like everything has to be like reasoned out like what exactly does this do and and sometimes it's okay to be like i don't know it's just (laughs) but like people don't like that answer a client said to me recently which i so appreciated he said He's all, I, he said to me, he said, I've learned if I don't know why you're doing something, it's probably good for my brain. Yeah. So I just go with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like that's I, perfect. I'm, I'm, I'm reading, uh, um, Alan Watts still the mind. I don't know how, okay. much, how much Alan Watts you've read or anything. Yeah. Highly recommend. It's uh, one of, he's one of my favorites, but he, it's a book on meditation mm-hmm. and kind of being like, there is no goal. Like we actually don't have to, like nothing has to happen. Yes. It's just an opportunity to observe. Oh, I love that. You know, because it's like in the age of like, I don't know, rationality and, and, and reason, it's always like, well, it's, it's doing this and we're hacking that. And, and, and maybe all those things are true, but does it matter? You know, like maybe it, it, it just, it, 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 maybe that doesn't have to be, the reason we do it, you know? I don't totally, I totally agree. And it's so interesting what you're saying because it's, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, actually, you know, we're in this era where we're like, oh, we totally are non-dualistic, right? You ask any like mind body practice or movement practitioner, they'll be like, oh no, 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 the mind and the body are totally connected. Mm-hmm. And then you start listening to them talk or watching what they do in your, and you think, and and there's still this very much the mind and the body are separate component mm-hmm. <laughs> to how we're approaching movement. Right. Like, wait a minute, but you just told me that the mind and the body are interconnected. They're, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. but that's not how you're approaching it. And I just find that such an interesting facet to where we are right now with movement, you know? I agree. I think it's like, it's like every, like we all know enough to kind of say it, yes. but like we're coming through like, ages of like society and culture that like we cannot help but see through that lens you know and like it's a really difficult thing you know it's like you you we're talking about like i don't know to me like seismic change in how we just like just the lens that we see life through not even like the um, the reflection, just like what, how we, how we, how we witness the world. Yes. Which is again, very hard for people. Like, I think it's definitely, it's hard to, yeah. And even like with pain science, have you studied pain science at all? Not a lot. No. So one of the uh, things that's being touted a lot in pain science is chronic pain it typically is affecting the whole person. It's a biopsychosocial issue. So it's a biological issue. Yes, there's, there's, you know, 
something probably going on biologically, but then there's a psychological component. If you have any sort of trauma, anxiety, or depression, that's going to significantly impact your experience of pain. Mm. And there's also a social component. Do you have people around you that support you? Mm. Right. So we know, well, the research is showing that this is, this is how pain works. And yet (laughs) it is still taught from such a biological perspective. I'm like, wait a minute. (laughs) Yeah. It's It's that whole dualistic thing. (laughs) Right. Everything comes down to just like, this, like, like isolate the thing, you know, like put the yellow tape around it and like focus there. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I I watched um, Gabor Mate's documentary. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you watched it. I've read a couple of his books. I have not seen the documentary. I watched Wisdom of Trauma and it's funny. It's like, again, it's like the things that you, you, for me, like, I'm like, oh, I've, I've reflected on these things and thought about these things, but like seeing somebody who's like on the front line, like being like, you know, it's, it's really a message of compassion. It's really just like, we, we need to be looking at things in such like a bigger picture, you know, as opposed to, you know, putting that yellow tape up and being like, well, here's the thing. Right. It's like he says, and I make this might be in the trailer. He says, and to me, it's like the thesis of the whole film, just that like we shouldn't be asking what's wrong with you, but rather what happened to you. Oh, there's so much to unpack right there. But yes, that is exactly. And I, I will pass the <laughs> mic to you. I would, I, I, I would love your thoughts with your, with your thoughts on, on pain science and everything. Well, I, I so we're predictive creatures, right? We, based on our experiences, when we do anything, we predict what's going to happen. And then the outcome, we reflect back and go, did that match our prediction? That's just how things go, right? Mm -hmm. And what happened to you, that tells you so much. Like if you have something horrible happen to you, then your prediction of what's gonna happen going forward is gonna be different than mine. Mm Right. If we had like, you know, the same life experiences up to a point and then this one horrible thing happened, you know, that's, and we, for, we, we don't take that into account. Mm-hmm. Now, having said that, there's also something called post-traumatic growth. Not everybody experiences post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm-hmm. If they have something horrible happen to them, there's this amazing Lawrence Gonzalez. He's written two books. One's called deep survival and one's called surviving survival. Mm-hmm. And it is so just amazing what people can live through and experience and grow from, Mm -hmm. but not everybody does. Some people have, you know, will experience something horrible and that will, that will shape them for the rest of their lives. And you think, well, why, why can you take two people and why do they have such different experiences of the same thing? And it's so dependent on other factors. Again, these other factors in their lives, the whole person's situation, like what, what's their mental state? Are they supported? What's their physical state? Like all of these things, what are they sleeping? Were they sleeping before this thing happened? Oh my goodness, sleep is such a huge one. (laughs) But when we think about the whole person, our perspective on our ability, like you to be compassionate and to empathize, I think it changed, at least it does for me. Mm -hmm. Like it changes. Like I always, when you hear someone's story and I don't know if you've re- like done any reading on the power of story and all of that. It's, it's such a, an amazing, incredible body of research to get into. But when you hear someone's story and you think, oh my goodness, like that's, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> you experienced all of that and look at what you're doing now. And with my clients, because sometimes I do have clients who come to me with come to me with chronic pain issues. You hear their story and you work with them for a little bit and you watch them slowly start to try things they would never have done, you know, three, three months ago. And you, you tell them, look, you're changing. Like you, you have the power to change. This is so cool. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So yeah, anyway, that was a, that was a tangent, but yeah. (laughs) I, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. But I, th- I think I think it it, it deserves more airtime, and, and I think that there's a you know, I mean I've been a part of things where it's that idea of like, well I did it so you should have to do it too, or like you know I suffered through this hard thing so you should have to suffer through, and and I don't know there there deserves to be significantly more empathy for people's like unique subjective experiences that they're like bringing to the table, and like I think that also speaks to like you know things not being linear either that like it's very very unique and crooked and twisty turny for like each person like is no matter how similar any two people seem it's like they're deeply deeply different yes exactly and I think that's the beauty of working with people and spending time with people as you start I I, you start to appreciate that Mm -hmm. wow Cause at the same, the same token, I was talking to a client of mine whose daughter is, she's a teenager and she had this crazy medical situation that left her half, like she's blind out of one eye, you know, but my client was telling me, <laughs> she, she was talking to me about my story and she said, you know, I think my daughter really needs to toughen up. Everyone I've met who's really interesting and fascinating, they have these crazy backgrounds. And I'm like, well, not everybody has to have trauma (laughs) to to accomplish amazing things. And on top of it, your daughter had, you know, this crazy thing happened to her. So she's already, she's good. She doesn't need any Right, right. Like, yeah, don't don't, don't throw her down the slide. Yeah. Because, you know, it's okay if you don't have all of that stuff too, you know, Mm -hmm. but it's important to just appreciate, like you said, that everybody's coming at this from a unique perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, and when you, when you, when you see that and have that appreciation that you're talking about of like mind, body, mind, body connection, like it's like, it's, it's all happening. Like the mobility may be related to the mind or the mind might be related to the mobility issues or whatever, you know, like in anything, it's like, it's, it's, it's not, it's not this or that it's like this and. Yes. Right. Exactly. And that's why I think there's so much power in playing with movement for everybody Mm -hmm. because it does tap into something on a on a deeper level. Mm -hmm. If you let it, Mm-hmm. If it's not just about how much weight can I press or can I accomplish this goal or, you know, this physical goal, if you, if you let it be something more then it can provide such a deeper meaning yeah. to your whole outlook. Yeah. I guess we've already, like, I, I feel like basically this is what we've talked about, but I, I mean, I'm curious, like if you were to distill it, like, like what is like movement to you? in like the fewest words, like, what is it like that, you know, I don't know. I feel like we've talked about it, but I'm, I'm curious, like when you kind of distill it. It's an experience of how I am in the moment. Oh, I love that. Yeah. 
I love that. Yeah, that's a, that's a good answer. Because that's all, I mean, so I, one of the things I've always been fascinated by is transitions. Mm -hmm. I love transitions and movement. They just, they fascinate me. Mm. Because I think there's so much in that in-between space that we don't, like, ponder. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's, it's that. That's great. Well, you said that I, I, I so I'm a trained jujitsu and one of my jujitsu teachers, I had him on the podcast, like really, really early on. And he was talking about how the art of jujitsu isn't the techniques, but it's the space in between the techniques. And I was just like, oh, that is like gold. Yes. That, that, that like belongs on a t-shirt. But as, as, as you mentioned the transitions there, I was like, well, that's the thing. You know, and that's like the, 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 the willingness to like feed the opportunities to, to, I don't know, fill your spirit, fill your experience. You know what I mean? Like the conversations like this, right? Have the potential to like feed the experience of like when I meet, when I go and do things in movement, even though we might not know exactly how, but like it's the experiences. Right. Yes. And, 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 you know, some people are like, oh, well, the experience is not as important as like practicing the technique. And I'm like, well, I don't know. I don't know. The more information we have, the better predictions we can make. Right. That's kind of what you said. Yes. And it's like, I don't know if I'm doing the same set technique. It's not that I'm not getting information, but if I have the opportunity to go do some things with some people and have the conversations and dance and improvise, like it may not be as like crazy as the one technique, but in the moment I'm collecting a whole bunch of information and I might have to make predictions in the future. Yes. <laughs> well, I think that's one of the values of having a movement practice, right? Like even, so yesterday I was out on my run and I decided to try doing something different during the late swing phase of gait. Mm -hmm. And it was super interesting because suddenly I got faster. I'm mm -hmm. like, oh, this is interesting. Now I've been running since I was 16. So I've been running for a really long time. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, I'm taking an extra like 40 seconds off my mile time just by doing this thing. This is really interesting. Mm -hmm. um, and that's that innate curiosity, right? Like that, just like, oh, what happens if? Mm -hmm. And that is, to me, something I wish everybody could, could have in their movement practice. What happens if? Mm. Rather than I have to do it this way. When I was doing handstands this morning, I played with pushing my hands away from each other rather than squeezing them in. And suddenly my arms got straighter. Mm. I've been doing handstands for a long time. But again, it was just a what happens if. Mm -hmm. Like I don't have to be married to one specific way of doing something. And that helps, I think, in, in life too, mm -hmm. because, you know, we have these ideas, sometimes things don't work out. So you go, oh, well, what happens if? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, and sometimes I, 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 I think that we don't see enough curiosity in life. I don't think we see enough curiosity sometimes in, in, in movement or fitness because there's a lot of kind of like, there's a lot of places where at least there's an air of certainty or an air of answers. And I realize that like when there are answers, we don't need to be curious, right? But like, and, and I think someone like Tom does a really nice job of like not really giving answers, but just kind of like giving suggestions or being like, oh, like look at this or try that or experiment here or, or, or play with this and like, it's almost like, you know what, I'm giving you, I'm giving you space to be curious. And, and that's hard because I think 
oftentimes people really like the certainty. They do, but I feel like I had a client say to me relatively recently, and this is someone who has chronic low back pain. She's had some stuff. She's in, she's in her early seventies. And she said to me, she said, the most valuable thing you've taught me, and I've been working with her now for like eight or nine years, is if something doesn't feel right, I can change it. Mm. And I can find a way to make it work. And she said, and that is just, it was, she was telling me, she's like, that was just mind blowing because (laughs) I've always had these people say, you have to do things a certain way, but you've always said, oh no, if that's not working, let's just try angling your foot out or, you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. like if you give people the space and it gives them confidence and don't we want people to be confident? I don't know. I want people to be confident. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what it is? I mean, I don't know. It's almost like there's like a. like a cultural desire to like control and like and 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 with control comes like force so it's like we got to squeeze the foot into the shoe right so like and it's like it's not limited to like to me like politics or how we like you know navigate the environments and everything it's like it it, and to me it ends up kind of like seeping into like all aspects again it's like that lens that we look through things through so it's like the you know oftentimes then in something like fitness it could be this like through the lens of like the force and control and all those other kind of cultural norms and it's like oh well this is what it is we have to do it that way yes right yes and that goes back to like what i said much earlier about when you asked, you know, how do you hold space in a session and not talk very, you know, not talk as much because yeah. it goes kind of back to that. Like, it's that like, you know, there is this need it, and I do think it is culture. I think you're right. The need to control, but when we let go of that, there's so much that can be discovered. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we don't, it seems like we just like don't embrace surprise when like, you know, if we're more welcoming and surprised, it kind of changes how we do everything. You know, again, like I think fighting monkey does a really interesting job of that almost being like, Hey, like let's, let's practice for not being in control rather than trying to like be in control. And and that's magical. I think so too. And I think that's one of the things that drew me to like to learning some of the parkour stuff, Mm. because that is not a natural world for me at all. But you have to be willing to embrace the, what if this doesn't go well? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And do I have the power to do a dive roll off of this if I need to? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Or, you know, um, and that's, again, it it teaches you something as an individual and it it can help you with your own personal growth if you're willing to go there. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's a dive roll for everybody. Yes. Like I I love that. Some, someone reminded me and, and made me kind of reframe my language because like I'll, I'll, I'll be facilitating my events and I'll, and I'll say like, take risks, right? And someone said to me like, oh, you know, like risk taking can feel scary. And I realized I was like, oh, it's when I say that I need to also, you know, clarify that language that I don't mean like take risks as in be dangerous. I mean, take risks as in surprise yourself. And for you, that might just mean turn your foot out instead of turning it in. And for the other person, it might be doing a double backflip. I don't know. You know what I mean? But like, but like do, do whatever it is that you don't do all the time, you know, like don't yes. lean into like the competence, like lean out of the competence. Yes, 
I like that. Have you studied any of Stephen Kotler's stuff, The Art of Flow or um, The Art of Impossible was his most recent book? What else did he write? I, I think I'm- The Rise he, of Superman. He writes Stealing Fire. Oh, sorry. He wrote Stealing Fire. Jamie Wheeler wrote I, The Rise I, of Superman. Yeah. I did read Stealing Fire. Yes. He's done a lot of work with flow and his most recent book, The Art of Impossible, I was watching like one of the talks that he gave about it. And one of the easiest ways to access flow is through doing things that are dangerous, mm. but that's not always the smartest thing to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he talks about this story where I can't remember. I think he was doing something. He was skiing, did, took some crazy ski run, ended up in the hospital for a while. So he's like, okay, this is not how you access flow. Like mm-hmm. the best way to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but a lot of what you're saying, you know, if you're willing to take risk that's appropriate for you, you do access that flow state. Mm-hmm. And that does something really interesting for you as well, mm-hmm. you know, which again, from just a neurochemical perspective, I think can shift just your whole, like your whole being. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I realize, you know, I didn't, I should say, I didn't realize until I read that book, how much time and money it, from like the tech sphere is being invested into like investigating flow states because <laughs> there is money to be made there apparently, you know, by, by, by getting their people doing it. Um, Everybody wants I, to hack flow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, and I had, I don't know, I, I'm, I, it's funny. I realized like I'm super naive. I had no idea that like, that was like a, a thing that people were super into in that way. Um, but I don't know. I thought about it a lot. Like I used to say to people like, you know, when you're falling, it's a very honest moment yes. in any yes. kind of fall. But like, if we're talking about just like a real fall, like where yes. there's that moment of like, not knowing what's going to happen. It's like, that's where the identity vanishes. And you're just like running, like totally on your innate intelligence with like the information you have and the predictions you're going to make. Yes. And I'm like, that's that thing. That's that like moment of like, <gasps> like the ego is quiet. Yes, exactly. Your brain is working at a whole different level. And it's super funny. Like you said, the ego is quiet. And that's what, they, that's what research has shown. The mm-hmm. prefrontal cortex, the, I think it's the lateral aspect of the prefrontal, prefrontal cortex, quiets down mm-hmm. when you're in flow state. So mm-hmm. you're no longer, the default mode network is the part of your brain that like tells your autobiographical story and predicts oh, what should I do tonight? And, oh, what was that person really thinking about me when she said that? You know, that's that's your default mode network. And it's important. It's where we get a lot of our ideas and, you know, it's where we put a lot of things together. It's how we self-reflect, but it can also hold us back from making connections. Right, and, is it, am I, am you, you can correct me, but am I, am I right to say that like, it's, it's that part of our brain that like keeps us time traveling. It's those are the parts yes. of the brain that like, bring us to the past into the future. Yes. Okay. Go yeah. continue. Exactly. Just like clarify. Okay. Yes. No, exactly. So, so suddenly when you're having that moment, that really honest moment where you're falling or whatever it is that you're doing, or you're, or you're, or you're looking at the jump going, I don't know if I can make that, but I'm going to try. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you actually go to make the jump. Um, those moments, like everything else falls away, you know, that you can't think all of those things. So for that just brief moment, that part of your brain is quiet. And that's, again, kind of powerful. Yeah, well, it's like, it's, you know, I always kind of describe it as like, um, we often like have our ego be like the driver. 
and sometimes it should be like where it's like I need to be here at this time or like you know what happened the last time I did that is that gonna like benefit me now but it's also really fascinating when it gets to be the observer right and that's kind of like the the dance we play because to me it's almost like that's like the newest part of our brain, right? Isn't that correct? Like the prefrontal cortex, like that's kind of like the newest part. And it's like, well, we made it really, really far with like this evolutionary intelligence that like exists in us as well. Right. And that's why like sometimes I realize the best way I can describe it is that falling thing because it's it's a brief moment, but everybody knows that moment where you're like slipping and you like catch yourself. And also it's like when you catch yourself, like no one feels more alive than when you catch yourself from a fall, right? But then when I think of like, you know, the idea of flow states, you're like, oh, but now we're talking about that feeling, but like longer, like, it's like, it's not just for that. Like, like it's a, oh, like, well, what does that look like? And what happens as you start to explore that in bigger chunks? But it's like, again, my, my thing is like, I see with some of those, like that book, like I, I, I liked it, but obviously it's like, you know, there's a productivity element in there of like, we get more from our employees when we do that. And that's so like goal related, but to bring it back to like, you know, speaking about meditation and stuff, it's like, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be goal related. Right. Right. Well, that's the, that's the, right. And I don't think that it necessarily should be. And I think you, I'm sure you've, cause you probably experience flow semi-regularly with your movement practice. I know I certainly do, mm-hmm. or, you know, you don't pay attention to your watch. You start doing your thing, mm-hmm. kind of the thoughts fall away. Mm-hmm. And suddenly you look at your watch, you're like, oh crap, I have somewhere I have to be. <laughs> mm-hmm. But that was awesome. I should do that again. <laughs> like, yeah. And I, and I think I saw a friend of mine, uh, Leah Woods, who helped organize the event in Boulder and also just, she taught a class that was so kick-ass at this event and she's just amazing. But she said, she used this term or this language, she said, you know, she said something about getting out of our own way. She said, you know, this stuff, you know, it's like, you know, people can get in their own way or, you know, we want to like not get in our own way. And, and that's like what it is. I think that sometimes like with, with these things, and that's what's attracting about like to me about like the flow state is like, we're not getting in our own way. Whatever we've got, we've got, and we're like rocking and rolling at that point, you know? And, and then later on we can like come back and reflect on what that was. But like, so much of the other time, it's like, we're judging it, we're looking at it, we're, t- we're having like chatter in our brains about what it is and what it isn't. And like, we're getting in our own way, right? Yes, for yeah. sure. And you, do you write a little bit? Yes. And do you, cause when you sit down to write, is it hard for you or can you sit down and just write? I can sit down and just write. So can I. And mm. I feel like my movement practice has really helped with that. Because this is that idea of flow state, right? Like you have to turn off the self-critic in your yeah. writing. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, no sentences would be written. <laughs> so to sit down and just be able to write, I think, is an, a really just kind of, for me, a powerful example of, oh, here's where my movement practice helps me just do this thing mm. yeah. and get into this flow state without, you know, having to do like to do any extra work to get there. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, I've never really thought about that. But yeah, you're, you're, I think you're, you're spot on. I mean, that's again, like something that I realized in that book that like, they realize that this is like a transferable skill. Right. 
<laughs> it's not limited to like whatever whatever space it, it happens in. Yeah. Yeah. Have have I mean only because we're talking about it and obviously you can you don't have to like go there if not but I'm I am curious like because my kind of early observations with this stuff was like kind of reading like Michael Pollan's How to Change Your Mind and everything and I'm curious like if you have any you know experience or even interest in like you know with psychedelics and stuff. It was interesting. I trained someone who is a medical professional who's really into it. Mm-hmm. And we've had numerous conversations about it. And he got into it because I recommended The Body Keeps the Score. Read it. So good. Yes. Yeah, so good. Mm-hmm. So he, he's an ER doctor and he got fascinated by the trauma that he was seeing in the ER and how he could help people better. Mm-hmm. And he realized psychedelic. And then he read uh, Michael Pollan's book and he was like, oh my gosh, this is, you know, there's something here. And so he's been really delving into that. And I find it fascinating. I, <laughs> I, I have a, I don't know that hallucinogenics would be a good choice for me. <laughs> I like reality a lot. Like I'm just one of those people that's just fascinated by reality, but I think there's a lot there and I, I've, I've witnessed it help a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely something to it. I just don't know that it will be my journey to take. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. I've never, I've, I've never, uh, you know, experimented or, or anything, but I find it fascinating. And then, you know, I guess with some of the other things that I, that I've done and played with in terms of like either movement or meditation or any of these things, I guess, falling, um, I'm like, I see it. I'm like, I, I get it, you know? And I feel the same way. I, did a lot of research and writing on like how movement affects the brain Mm -hmm. um, about a year ago. And some of the papers I came across were on multisensory integration Mm -hmm. and the value of multisensory integration, which is what you were talking about earlier when you were talking about how like the environmental context can Mm -hmm. really impact your experience of a movement Mm -hmm. in that moment. Mm our brain loves multisensory or integration. It loves getting lots of stimulation in the right amounts. You know, if we're overstimulated, we know that usually like going to Disneyland for me is a little overstimulating, but like, like, why do we need 4D? I think I was perfectly fine with 3D, (laughs) but you know, but like the natural environment is very much an example of multisensory integration. And I feel like from what I understand, psychedelics do that really well. They open you up. Mm-hmm. to this kind of multi-sensory integrative experience that I, I imagine would be very powerful. Yeah. Well, I mean, to me, like, you know, I think maybe a couple people on here have like gotten into the topic of like meaning and purpose and things like that. And I don't know, the more I kind of reflect on it, the more I feel like, you know, the search for meaning and the challenge for like feeling like we, we, we don't know what our meaning is, has to do with our, our, has to do with this, like not, as I kind of say, like having our hands in the dirt, right? Like, you know, and when I say that, I mean like all the things like, you know, with ourselves, with other people in the world, like everything is so sanitized. And I think that like, there's a lot of information in terms of like meaning by like, being exposed and participatory. Um, I think about what Yosef said when I had him on the podcast where he talks about like being a hunter and being hunted. Right. And that's, but that's the thing. That's the senses. It's like, it's all 
all the observations and, and information happening and, and receiving it all. And I don't have the answer to like what the meaning is, but I think that those things might, might give us meaning. Yes. And I totally agree. I know there's been research that's been done, which I find really interesting with people who are dying mm-hmm. and they're given hallucinogenics. I don't remember if it's LSD or psilocybin. I don't remember which. And people experience so much less anxiety mm-hmm. once that experience, once that trip is over and you think, well, there's some, there's something there then, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, and I think it touches upon exactly what you're saying. You know, that sense of purpose and that sense of meaning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's like the, it's to like, yeah. I mean, it's like we have these, these nervous systems that are like both over and understimulated. You know, yes. and it's like they're they're overstimulated yes. in the wrong ways and yes. understimulated, you know, in in the right ways. And it's um, it, yeah, it's like you know, if there are people and you read about it in like in indigenous cultures where it's like the way all the creatures can be out in the world and like have this innate intelligence. It's like we're capable of all of that stuff, right? right? And understanding like the role that we could potentially be playing with all these things that we evolved with, as opposed to always being like separate, either like controlling it and destroying it or being so separated that we're actually not even participatory with it. And I say this, I'm not, you know, standing on top of a mountain as if like I do all the things, but like I can look at it now and be like, Oh, there's, there's something there, you know? And and then, and I think like it ends up leaving us as you were talking about kind of with like anxiety and with depression and like that feeling of like not having a purpose. And we, 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 you know, can we end up finding it in all these other places and and some of those places can be you know you know from certain people's perception unhealthy places and yeah i just think there's like a there's a rich well of meaning in like playing our role so agree and as you're saying like movement is like the critical role of that I think it is. I think it is. I read this. I listened to a podcast several years ago. I can't, Brooke, I can't remember what her last name was. She no longer has the podcast, unfortunately. But she said, we're living in a crisis of disembodiment. Mm. And I thought that is so true. <laughs> just, mm-hmm. I just, I think that is so true. <laughs> yeah. That, that, I mean, I think, I think that like hits the nail on the head. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know how to change it. I just do my small little part and hope that maybe something. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's, what's so nice about like, you know, cause I, I don't know, I feel like, you know, just in this short conversation that like something that we seem to have in common is that we have like certain values and that we like wish to share them through our medium. Am I wrong? I feel like that. I feel like that that's part of what's happening. Oh, I, no, I, I, I would agree. Yes. Yeah. And so I see that in you and I, and, and some people might think to themselves like, oh, like, you know, how can you change the world? You know, the people are like, oh, I'm not going to recycle. I'm just like one person. But like, you know, like, I really do believe that like the things that we care about can be communicated through like our art or what we want to present to the world or, or whatever. And, and maybe that can play a role in like what people carry with them and like the next pieces of their world and who they interact with, you know, it's like, we're all so much closer together than, than, than anyone really thinks. Yes. And I think, yeah, such a lovely way to think about it too. I have a client, I train a husband and a wife separately Mm -hmm. and he's really sweet about it. He's told me before, he's like, you realize like 
my wife's entire mood shifts when she gets back from seeing you. Like you, her day is suddenly so much brighter and happier. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's so good. That's what I want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what I want people to experience. You know, we can't always have perfect days, but if you can feel a little bit better as you're going through your life, like that's a positive thing, you know? Yeah. And, and, and it, it changes how we like navigate spaces and how we navigate like with people. And, and, you know, as we start off with like talking about empathy, it's like someone might walk out the door you know, more empathetic or more compassionate and like, wow, like, that's amazing. Totally. <laughs> yeah. You, 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 I think I saw that you, you had, you had a book published just this past year. I did. Yeah. What, what, what is that on? It's uh, called Body Mind Movement. It's an evidence-based approach to mindful movement. So it's just the fundamental principles that allow us to move in a mindful way. And it was originally, I had written it for the general population. And then the publisher that picked it up actually specializes in movement professionals. Mm -hmm. So I rewrote it from the movement professional, but Mm -hmm. I've had people read it who were not movement professionals that said it was very helpful. So that was nice to hear. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Is it, is is it like uh, on Amazon or, or is it better to like buy, you know, get it through, you know, your website or anything? It is on Amazon. It's also available through Handspring Publishing. Okay. And on my website. It's on my website too. It's very impressive. Congratulations on like writing a book. That is like a huge feat. <laughs> Thank you. As I said, writing's not terribly hard for me. I have two more in my computer. I haven't decided what to do with them. Uh-huh. <laughs> what What are those ones about? The first one is on movement and mental health. Mm-hmm. So it's how movement impacts anxiety, trauma, and depression. And then the second one is how to be your own coach. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. But and do, do you think that you'll be publishing them soon? Or are you still like just figuring out where and how? It's the second, it's the latter. And I'm figuring out where and how. Yeah. Because it's so easy now, it seems like to, to publish your own book, like through Amazon and things like that. Like they'll, you can almost self-publish anything. You totally can. The thing with that, it depends on what you're comfortable with. Like the thing with it is, you know, ideally you still have someone that edits it and you still have someone that proofreads it and you still have someone that does all your pictures. So there's actually a little bit of like that back end part, you know, and I think some people probably publish without all of those things, but. Well, listen, I would happily volunteer. I'm not a great editor in terms of the grammar, but I am a, I am great editor. I think maybe in terms of content. So I would love to like read you know, and support any way I can. That is my offering. If I, if, you know, if you're looking for some, like someone outside to read it, I would love to read it. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I might actually take you up on that. <laughs> I would be, I would be honored. It's, uh, you know, one of my favorite pastimes anyway. So yeah, I will, uh, I will dig into a transcript and, and check it out. That would be super, super cool. Awesome. Well, thank you. When, um, if people want to connect with you, what are the best ways? And, and also you would, you know, we, I don't, we didn't even get to it, but like, tell me, you said you were going to be doing some workshops as well. So yeah. Yes. Yeah. Is- so the best way to connect with me is probably via my website, which is just my name, jenpilati.com or Instagram. I'm decently active on there. And that's also just my name. I'm very boring. Jen underscore Pilati. Um, I am teaching an embodied anatomy workshop this weekend. It's 20 hours. I'm very excited about that. We might do it again if we have enough interest. And 
I do some other stuff. I usually post it on the website or Instagram. And then I also have a retreat coming up in Costa Rica next year. Really? Yeah. How long is the retreat? It is seven nights, eight days. Oh, are you teaching the whole thing? Mm-hmm. Wow. I'm super excited. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. Yeah. What, when, when next year is that? March 7th, I think is the start date. Okay. If I, if I'm still kind of homeless around that time, maybe I will make that my home for a week. <laughs> you totally should. The, the, the venues both look beautiful. We're going to two different places and yeah, hiking, zip lining, and then movement stuff. Oh, wow. That's so cool. Is that, is that the, have you done other retreats like that? I did a very small retreat in the Napa Valley like four years ago. And I was actually supposed to teach a retreat in Oregon the year COVID hit. <laughs> oh, oh, no. But COVID hit. So yes, that needless to say did not end up happening. Okay. So this, so this will be like a, a big event. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. That's, yeah. is, and, and people can sign up for that through your website? Yes. Amazing. Well, and like I said, who knows? Maybe the world sends me there. That would be so cool. But at the very least, I do. I would love to like make it out in your direction at some point because uh, this was so nice. I really enjoy getting a chat with you. This is like, um, I don't know. I feel like every conversation I have is a pleasant surprise because most people I'm meeting for the first time. But like, this is such a pleasant surprise. It's always, yes. it's so fun. <laughs> And likewise, yeah. No, thank you so much for inviting me and having me on. This was great. Oh, it was such a pleasure. I can't wait till we get to like have our next one in person. Yes, exactly. And now that, the, yeah, it'll happen. <laughs> I believe it'll happen. Well, this is great. Have a great night. Thank you, you so well. much. Yes, you too. Thank you, Kyle. All right. Bye, Jen. Bye.